Hello and welcome to the Oscar Watch Podcast, the podcast where we look back at past Best Picture winners for your reconsideration. I am your host, your king, Stephen Buja, and joining me for this very special For Your Reconsideration episode, once again, is Amy Thomason. Amy, how are you doing? I'm doing really well. Ex- very well. Hope everybody had a nice holiday at home. I did. I did indeed. Uh, how about yourself? Yes? It was very, very nice. Okay, we've been off for a couple of weeks. Did you manage to get to the theater to see any current day movies? Unfortunately, I did not, because it was lots of family time, which entailed both of my children, which was wonderful, but sadly, I did not get out to a movie theater. Okay. Is, uh, do you have anything on the list of like things you want to see before the end of the year, before the, before the Oscars are announced? I want to see Lady Bird, and I would like to see Three Billboards. Okay, yes, I'm hearing great things about Lady Bird. I myself just checked out Three Billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri, and I gotta say, it is a great film. It is a wonderfully written film in a very different way than the movie that we are talking about tonight is a wonderfully written film. And that film is the 1968 Best Picture nominee, The Lion in Winter. Directed by Anthony Harvey, written by James Goldman, starring the one and only Catherine Hepburn, the one and only Peter O'Toole, Anthony Hopkins in his major role debut, Timothy Dalton, James Bond himself, his film debut, John Castle, Nigel Terry, and it is based on uh, James Goldman's play. Amy Thompson, what is your history with this film? I have to take a moment and give a shout out to a very old and beloved friend of mine, Mr. Brian Hartz. We connected in college through theater and film. He loves film as much as I do. He's my go-to guy. If I'm reading a book and I hear about a Kurosawa movie, I'm like, oh, I wonder if that's any good. Brian's the guy I go to for my Mm -hmm. information on that. And he probably loves this movie as much or more than I do. I think he's the one that introduced it to me. And I know he's listening. So, Brian, I love you. I miss you. I hope I do this podcast justice. Brian, you have good taste. Also, with Kurosawa, most of the movies are good. Hard to go wrong with a Kurosawa film. So, longtime fan, big fan. Big fan of this movie. Because. Every year, it's our holiday movie. We watch well, it at least once a year. It is our Christmas movie. Well, the, which is why we picked it, because we're entering the Christmas season, and this film takes place over basically the two days, two days of Christmas in the year of our Lord, eleven eighty-three, which is uh, it's just magical. Uh, I must. Wonderful family movie it is. It's you know what I I said this in the on the on on the in hyping this episode that you know some families talk politics at the holidays. This family they are politics at the holidays, and uh, I I have to say the level of discourse at this family table family gathering is far above anything I expect to hear nowadays. So it was just it was, it was, it's a joy to watch people. Tearing at, tearing at their throats, but in such a graceful manner. It's, uh, it's like, it's like nothing else when you watch talented people say brilliant, sharp things. And they all hours. do it with a smile on their face. They do. Oh man. Two parts, but mostly they're smiling while they're just. It's basically verbal fencing. Yes. Yes. It's graceful. It is. There's a there's a flow. There's a rhythm to this to this movie. And I, uh, to to bring it uh, back to personal experience, I had seen. I know I'd seen part of this. You know why? Because I distinctly remember always when Henry bashed the the water in to break the ice. I go. Wait, I, I have I have seen that before, and that is a very nice touch. Movie. Hats off to you. There um, are so many things this movie did and did not do, which make it 
light years better than a lot of other historical films. Yes, uh, which we will definitely discuss because I have a theory about the reason why this we are talking about this in a four-year reconsideration and not the actual 1968 episode, but we will save that ever so briefly for our next section because we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we'll talk about the Academy Awards that The Lion in Winter was nominated for and did win that year. There they are, the best actresses of 1968. Catherine Hepburn in The Lion in Winter, Patricia Neal for The Subject was Roses, Vanessa Redgrave for Isadora, Barbara Streisand, Funny Girl, Joanne Woodward for Rachel, Rachel. The winner, it's a tie. The winners are Catherine Hepburn in Lion in the Winter and Barbara Streisand. This is Anthony Harvey, who is accepting the award for Catherine Hepburn. Thank you very much. When I asked Miss Hepburn uh, what she thought when she had broken the records for uh, winning the, uh, breaking the records for nominations, she said, I suppose if I've lived as long as I have, anything can happen. And I'm absolutely thrilled that it has happened. Thank you very much. The 41st Academy Awards were held on April 14, 1969. The Lion in Winter did not win Best Picture. That award went to Oliver with an exclamation point. We have previously discussed Oliver on this show before. Spoiler alert. I fucking hate that movie so much. So... So much. Uh, I did not enjoy the experience. And I am a fan of musicals. And we have drawn the short end of the stick when it comes to watching musicals on this show. I just, I just like, I want, I want to get to Chicago because I love Chicago. and It's great. I just want to talk about that. But Oliver, no good. Uh, let's get briefly your thoughts on Oliver. What do you, because uh, you were not here for that. That was actually two hosts ago that we watched this movie. I listened to your podcast on it. I agreed with a lot of what you said. I was, I don't want to say I was raised on Oliver. I've seen it many, 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 many times. I watched it in school as a kid. And then, um, I was in musical theater. I had a friend who was in Oliver. He played Fagin. He was really, really good. I enjoyed watching it. I do not think it was the best picture of that year. It still baffles me why it won. I was like, is it because of Carol Reed? And maybe he had never won before. And so they were kind of trying to throw him a bone because he didn't win for like the third man. Mm. Who knows? But I am fascinated with Fagan and the Artful Dodger. They were both nominated for best actor and supporting actor. Yes. They were great. The movie should really just be about them. And it then it actually would have been entertaining. It, it really should have been. It overstays its welcome. The songs become repetitive. Oliver is a wet blanket of a character and do not care for him at all. And every other character is more noble. The character of Nancy, who's strong and, you know, yeah. s saves his life. And it's like, why? For this little doofy kid who you kind of feel like punching in the face. All the, all the time. All the freaking time. Like, why, are, why is this woman dying and being brutally beaten to save this kid's life what did this kid ever do for him nothing he nothing. did nothing nothing kid did not but hey we cannot go and adjust history we can't we can't rewrite it but we can say that uh listen to the episode and you'll realize there were so many good movies in 1968 that came out uh many as, many, yeah, many as, brilliant best of their genre films exactly rosemary's baby 2001 the producers. The, the producers. It's, Bullet. It's a fantastic year for films. But you would not know that just looking at the movie that won Best Picture. But 
We're not here to talk about Oliver. I really don't want to do that again. We're here to talk about The Lion in Winter. It was nominated for seven Academy Awards total, including Best Picture. It won three of them. Amy, what were those three? Okay. Best Actress. Mm. Asterisk. Yep. Tied with Barbara Streisand for Funny Girl. One of the few ties in uh, Academy history. Uh, Catherine Hepburn, this was, she actually went back to back. She had won the previous year for Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Alongside. Which she should have lost, by the way. Who was it? Who she else was did nominated? Not deserve that Oscar. Who else was nominated? Uh, uh, Anne Bancroft for Mrs. Robinson. Oh, yeah, the graduate. Faye yeah, Dunaway for Bonnie and Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah. Dunaway, 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 Dunaway would, would win later for Network, and that's, that's good. But, uh, yeah, the, the, I, th- I think there was also the whole uh, Spencer Tracy had, I think he died. Had just died right after the filming of the movie. Right. And so maybe, if, but, and also, um, I've, I told, I told my mother that we were watching Lion in Winter and for some, I'm surprised she hadn't seen it because she's a big Catherine Hepburn fan. She goes, well, you know, she really, she really just plays Catherine Hepburn. I'm like, yeah, okay. I can see that. But she does that really well, doesn't she? She does. And I think. One of the other reasons she might have won in 67 was that she also had won an Academy Award since the 1930s. Right. Her first one was Morning Glory in 1934. And uh, exactly. she's, yeah, and so that's a, that was a very long drought. So it's one of those, oh, she's older. Maybe she's getting to the end of her career. I think had they known she was going to do the line in winter, they would have held off. And Pro- then they gave it to her again yeah, in 1982 yeah. for On Golden Bond. Yeah, she uh, she is the only actress to win four Best Actress awards. There is a lot of talk that Meryl Streep will be in the running, as she always is, for Best Actress for this year's The Post, directed by Steven Spielberg, which would give her four total acting awards. However, Meryl Streep has one supporting actress for Kramer vs. Kramer in 1979. So I don't want to say Catherine Efford is better, because... Who's to say that? But she will have one more of the larger awards. Just to just to split hairs. Both are both are tremendous actresses, people. But that's that's just that's just how it, how it works out. Some... Two of them not so deserved. I'm putting my two cents in there, but we'll save that for uh, a later episode. <laughs> Catherine Hepburn, Catherine Hepburn, or Meryl Streep. Catherine Hepburn. Oh. Definitely. Not a fan of Long Go. She wanted to so, say you probably, you probably think she deserved it for this. I haven't seen Morning Glory, and she did not. Morning des- Glory, I'd give it to her. She did not deserve it for Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. She was up against Anne Bancroft yeah. in one of the most iconic female roles in the ever, yeah, ever, ever, ever. And I don't think she deserved it for On Golden Pond. I think that was a hey, she's old. Let's right, give it to it's, her it's her like her last she- movie. Her and uh, Henry Fonda. Henry Fonda, one of the Fondas. Yes, Henry Fonda. Henry Fonda, yes. Anyways, we're not. Anyways, moving on. It also uh, Lion and Winter also picked up best adapted screenplay. Uh, James Go- for James Goldman based on his own play. I didn't know. Did not know this. James Goldman is the brother to William Goldman, who uh, wrote Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, and The Princess Bride, and I think literally wrote the book on screenplay writing in Hollywood. I very talented family. And best score. By John Barry, which kicked ass. It's such great music. I've had it in my head since I watched the movie. Yes, it's, 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 I, 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 I do want to point out John Barry would go. He also, you might recognize that name as the man who invented the James Bond theme. And who is in The Lion of Winter? Mr. James Bond himself, Timothy Dalton, his debut performance. I did not know the James Bond reference. I only know because he did Out of Africa. Quick shout out to my mom. That's her all-time favorite movie. And Dances with Wolves. For which he won, uh, I believe he won both. Actually, he is a, he's a multiple Academy Award winning uh, composer, which uh, is, is quite good. Puts him in very esteemed, esteemed air. With, uh, Howard Shore and John Williams, I believe. And uh, among many others, among many others. It was also nominated for several other, uh, other awards, which were... Which were Best Picture, which we've already discussed, Best Director, Best Actor, uh, Peter O'Toole Cliff Robertson, which is a, a crime. Right. Everyone, uh, that, was a, that was a matter of Cliff Robertson 
politicked the hell out of himself. He, he basically whored himself out to Academy members, and even everyone's like, yeah, he really didn't deserve that win for Charlie. And, and he played a special needs person, which sometimes people go for. Right, but it's but what what makes it worse is that Cliff Robertson, uh, who I believe is Uncle Ben in the original Spider-Man trilogy, one Academy Award win. Peter O'Toole, zero Academy Award wins. Eleven nominations, never won a competitive acting Oscar. This is Lawrence yeah. of Arabia. This is Henry the Second. This is he is he is cinema acting. Uh, he's he's a legend. Never watched and Homeless. He does great silly physical comedy and like what's new Pussycat? Yeah, where and- he's doing pratfalls and. <laughs> He's silly. He's amazing. He's he is amazing. I love him. R.I.P. And, and the and the dude can sing. I have a soft spot for Man of La Mancha. He's just fantastic in that movie. Oh, love he's it. He's really amazing in everything. He's yeah. great in Ratatouille as the food critic. I mean, he is everything an actor should be. Absolutely. And finally, it also picked up a Best Costume Design uh, nomination as well. Uh... And uh, so, we're talking about the Academy Awards. This movie is very good. We're just, spoiler alert there, people. Oliver, maybe not so much. This movie is about a British monarch named Henry, who is dealing with, he's dealing with some divorces, with a divorce, with sons, with, you know, with succession planning. Two years earlier, a man for all seasons, also involved a British monarch named Henry VIII, who was dealing with a divorce and trying to figure out a succession plan. It focused on, yes, Sir Thomas More. However, I suspect the Academy was was going to say, we are not giving another British biopic best picture. We have to give it to, some, to something else. That is my theory on this, because the 60s was a big time. You had Beckett, in which Peter O'Toole actually played Henry II again, so this is kind of like a sequel to Beckett, and yes. uh, several several other like going back to the uh, medieval times pictures, and it was it was big, and one already won very recently, and I think the Academy just thought we aren't going to do this again. Let's give it to something else. My my I'm two cents. Really sure, I am impressed with that argument. I had not even thought of that. A Man for All Seasons, another film on the Amy Thomas and Top 100. Fans, Love it I, I have seen that one. That movie's watched dynamite. It a couple, watched it a couple weeks ago, and I'm really looking forward to that episode because I'm really torn that year between Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf mm. and A Man for All Seasons. And right. if Paul Schofield should have won over Richard Burton for... Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. That year is a tough, tough year, but I'm holding off on that. But right, which is which, which is why which is why I like uh, I like Lion in Winter because it's basically a man for all seasons with Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf and you just mash them together, <laughs> and you That's... get this amazing, very small cast, epic drama. It's it's brilliant. It's brilliant. I, lo- I, yes. I love it so much. <laughs> I also think that with The Lion in Winter, I absolutely love it. It was also a big year for period pieces. None of them were modern films. I haven't seen Rachel Rachel, so I can't really get into that. But it might require a study guide. It's not really a movie that I feel is a very – that appeals to a very, very wide audience. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the reasons why, and I think it's good that the movie did this, but it also possibly could be a setback. It doesn't open with a little written prologue of this is what's going on. Right. Henry II's been married to Eleanor of Aquitaine. Eleanor's been in a tower. There's none of that. And what I love is that there's none of that at the end either. There's no, oh, by the way, this is who ended up becoming. Right. By the way. By the way. I thought that was really interesting that the filmmaker and the playwright did not include that. It can be, I can imagine it would be a little hard to follow. Even the first time I saw it and I'd sort of studied it, I was still kind of, who's this person again? Which (laughs) song is this? 
Right. Uh, What's well, that guy the king of? I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to put a pin in that. We're going to take a short break. We're going to come back. And we're, going to, we're going to keep talking about that as we discuss the entirety of the Lion in Winter. My life, when it is written, will read better than it lived. Henry Fitzemperus, first Plantagenet, a king at 21, the ablest soldier of an able time. He led men well. He cared for justice when he could and ruled for 30 years a state as great as Charlemagne's. He married out of love a woman out of legend. Not in Alexandria or Rome or Camelot has there been such a queen. She bore him many children, but no sons. King Henry had no sons. He had three whiskered things, but he disowned them. You're not mine! We're not connected! I deny you! None of you will get my kingdom, I leave you nothing, and I wish you plague by all your children, breach and die. Amy, for those who have not seen The Lion in Winter, can you give them a very brief synopsis of what the heck is going on in this movie? Henry II is trying to figure out which of his sons he is going to make heir to his kingdom after his death. Mayhem ensues. Succinct and to the point, I do appreciate your way of definitely summing things up. Um, as you mentioned, there was no sort of opening text crawl that you, you, that you might find it to, to catch you. What did you think about that? Do you think that, that was, the film was more effective because it just literally throws you into the action? Or do you think that possibly that could have helped the audience I them a little bit better. I am I'm always a big fan of a film that treats its audience with intelligence and I think that move is while it yes it can be it can be helpful to like catch people up the writing is so rich and expansive that I'm glad it was not there because yes it takes a while. Yes, it tosses you sort of right into the middle of things. But it is... I, honestly, it is, to me, it is easy enough to follow that I... It took me a little while, but I eventually got it and I was on board. I love it when they just... I love it when they don't have to hold your hand about anything. And when they just... When it's, just, like, it's, it's very much a play where it's like, yep, we're, we're here. Uh, the very first scene establishes everything Henry wants. It wastes no time in getting to the point. He's like, I want to, let's see, my oldest son died, rebelling against him, ironically. And now I need to figure out which of my sons is going to inherit. There's John, the pissant. There's Jeffrey, the schemer. There's Richard, the uh, Richard the proud. Literally, Richard the lionheart. Who's it going to be? And by the way, my wife, who I keep in prison, is coming back for the holidays five minutes in we're like all right i get it this is this is what's happening now i just need to figure out the details so um no i'm glad it wasn't there is what i'm saying <laughs> i had a feeling you were gonna go on that direction even before that i thought about that i thought about, i anticipated your response with that and i feel the same way i feel that some of those details and some of the people that they talk about, like they keep talking about Rosamund, Rosamund, yeah. and who apparently, I of course did some research afterwards, oh, was yeah, his mistress up until her death. It doesn't really matter. You just sort of figure it out. You don't really have to know. They kept it very, in my opinion, historically accurate. I'm sure that some liberties were taken, but I liked that it didn't insult you with right. Right. It's it's it, 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 it's like you know what you, you're here. Thank you. Enjoy the ride. You're an adult. You can figure this out. Uh, on the subject of historical 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 accuracy, uh, I have not been had the chance to ask you this question. But how do you feel about historical accuracy in historical pit in historical motion pictures? 
in dramas, in comedies, etc., not necessarily documentaries. Do you need to have that authenticity? Because Henry II, he was a real person. Eleanor of Aquitaine, real person. Richard Lionheart, real person. All of these, all of these characters really did exist. How do you feel about the liberties taken here, and in general to historical figures? Um, I think art should be allowed to take liberties. I think it matters as far as what is the purpose of the film. Is the purpose of the film supposed to be to give you an accurate portrayal of who the person was, or is it about trying to make a statement about family, power, things like that? Lawrence of Arabia. People said, oh, maybe it wasn't accurate. Bridge on the River Kwai, I think, was based on real people or real events. But I think in the larger sense, in those cases, it doesn't matter. I also think it's easier to take liberties with things that happened in the 1100s with Henry II as opposed to, like, a Schindler's List. Right. There's no no one to really back it. Give, an, give a first-person account as to yeah, what actually happened. Yeah, there's no one alive who can really say, well, wait a minute, all of these things are wrong. That's not the kind of person that he was. You don't really have to risk offending anybody mm-hmm. when you're portraying, like, Eleanor of Aquitaine. Right. When you're, just pl- when you're just playing yourself in fancy clothes. Exactly. And even in um, Beckett, there were some liberties taken, and it had to do with um, – the religion or the nationality of Richard Burton's character in the movie. He was a Norman, which they fight. They had fight it. They had fought, excuse me. Right. And so people have like a real issue with that. And they said he wasn't a Norman or he was a Norman. I don't remember all the details, but people had a big issue with that because they made such a big deal about it in the film. But in reality, that wasn't an issue at all. But I don't think it matters in certain situations. I don't think it's supposed to be, historically accurate because even at the end of the film and this is i want to get to that later it's never resolved at the end of the movie his entire purpose of the the movie is i need to find an heir at the end of the movie we don't know it's never stated he has not come to that decision and is that important to the movie is that the point of the movie does it matter does not matter uh that is a very good answer because all of this made up just, it's completely made up. All completely made up. There was reports that Richard the Lionheart was homosexual, but they have never been substantiated. Um, I assume maybe the broader, broad strokes of the characters were taken. I can I can imagine if you were a king in medieval times, you're a bit of a madman, and but you don't hire Henry. You don't hire Peter O'Toole if you don't want. Your character would be slightly mad. He plays mad so very well. And, and in so many different ways. Exactly. He's, he, this is his big mad. This is his egotistical, narcissistic mad that just consumes everything. And it's brilliant. I love it. I feel if you had seen this film first, you would think he was a lot like Henry II. You would think, oh, he's overacting. He's just <laughs> yelling and jumping up and down. And he looks much bigger. One thing I was amazed at, this is six years after Lawrence of Arabia, where he's stick skinny and mm-hmm. looks like a baby. He looks so young. Six years later, he looks like a gruff, much older, much physically bigger man. They gave him those big, loose clothes. They yeah. kind of yeah. buffed him up a little bit. Well, he was a and 36-year-old man trying to play 50. <laughs> and he's braying, and you would think that that's his acting style. But then you go back to Lawrence of Arabia, where he's very well-mannered, very soft and eloquently spoken. He does all of his acting acting with his eyes in that movie, because you could see just this madness in yes, every scene. Yes, up until the no prisoners, he doesn't raise his voice at all. Right. Ever, oh, yeah. Except for the no prisoner scene. Such a great movie. It really is, and I would love to see it again, but I don't have t- I don't have time for that. So um, we have to uh, we should just talk about the, the the greatness in the room, which is all around Catherine Hepburn. Yes, Eleanor of Aquitaine. She is, I guess, one of my favorite female characters because everything everything she says, everything everyone says, I think really 
is quotable. But oh, the way line. the way Catherine Hepburn delivers what every barb and every other line she has is a is a barb at somebody is the most brilliant thing. <laughs> and she doesn't set up the dialogue like it's an insult, which is what I love. Right. So much of the delivery of her insults seems like such a throwaway line because she talks a lot because she moves she's moving the entire movie she's always walking and she's turning her head to talk to one son she's turning her head to talk to the other son she's talking over her shoulder she and they're walking and speaking at the same time she's never still but her first entrance when she's talking to her children which and this kills me every <laughs> single time I see it is when she says something to John and she kind of gives a little barb to John and then she sees Richard and she makes the comment about his nose and his eyes seeming pig-like uh, and then she says and Jeffrey and then just walks away. <laughs> <laughs> She digs the one son. She digs the second one harder. And Jeffrey, whose entire character is that he's an afterthought, is, and Jeffrey. And then she just turns her head and walks away. And she walks doesn't away. even finish the sentence. She's just like... Yeah. And I, I think Jeffrey, the actor, does not get enough credit for Don how Castle. talented he is. Yeah. Everyone's talking about Dalton. Everyone's talking about uh, Anthony Hopkins. I saw him play posthumous in I, Claudius, the PBS series, which mm -hmm. if you've never seen it, you should. And uh, that's how what? I remember him. And he gives some heartbreaking performances. He's all over the place, too, but he's not as well known as the other actors. He didn't have as big a career as Anthony some of Hopkins. the other actors. Anthony but Dallas. that, and Jeffrey. is. That's it. Yeah. yeah, but no, she just has some some great things. I I, I I wrote down a couple of my favorites. I could peel you like a pear, and God would call it justice. Like, oh, it's like the manner of discourse we have these days. It feels it's barbaric in comparison. He had a mind like Aristotle and a form like mortal's sin. Mother's tired. Come stick the come stick pins tomorrow morning. I'll be more responsive. Like this woman is. It's, when she says to fire. her jewelry, I would hang you from my nipples, but it would shock the children. <laughs> <laughs> and then one of my favorite bits with her and the equally brilliant Peter O'Toole. Yes. When he says, give me a little peace, Eleanor. And she goes, a little? Why so modest? How about eternal peace? <laughs> yeah. And uh, like, again, damn. Yes. Which 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 does which does come back to the fact that this movie absolutely deserved its its screenplay win. It just lights out when you have actors quoting lines with such speed, with such just naturalness, and they're so razor sharp. You go, oh, this is this is this is why we watch movies to see this. This is it's a it, this film reminded me of a of a Sorkin movie or a Chayefsky before Sorkin or, you know, along the same time as Chayefsky. It's just everyone knows what to say exactly when to say it. They don't have to go, oh, I wish I had zinged him like this. It's, it's everyone's, everyone's on point all the time. And it's, is that yeah. like life? No, I don't care. I love it. One thing I do like is as brilliant as every single line is and every single line is brilliant. It really is the smarter characters get the better zingers than the lesser oh, characters. Yeah. John, John, when he says, you're a stinker, you're a stinker and you stink. You're just like, yeah, yeah. that but, was a little weak. Yeah, but, but it's weak, such, but it's so, but it's still so good. That's the, but it's, it's something his character would say. Exactly. And I love that, that even as, as, and that line, I think I laughed for, I had to pause the movie because I just started <laughs> laughing and I was like, really, that's the best we can do. And then the line, and I just have to say this, this movie's so quotable when he says, no one ever thinks about John. If I was on fire, nobody would piss on, on me, me to put it out. And Richard says, totally deadpan. Why don't we get a flint and find out? <laughs> Oh, and again, I had a pausing because I was laughing so right. hard. And again, it's such a throwaway line. It's just, why don't we get a Flynn and find out? Yeah. 
And it's weird. It's weird to think of John growing up to become King Arthur in Excalibur, the John Borman film. Interesting. I never saw him in anything else, so he's always pretty much John for me. Which is fine. Which is fine. And uh, yes, people, that is he does become that is King John of Robin Hood legend of signing the Magna Carta. That is the same. The same. The same character. I, I do want to go back to Hepburn real quick, quickly. You say she's always moving, but it's when she's still that that's when she really can draw you in. There's this one moment that is absolutely beautiful. It's um, it's right after the the failed. I think it's a failed wedding attempt to get such a great scene to, to, to get Alice to marry um, Richard, and she demands that Henry kiss Alice, and he says all these like beautiful things to her, and you go, oh, it's beautiful. But the camera it just zooms right in on Hepburn's face, and in it you can see a lifetime of of love and heartbreak, and she's just barely keeping it together she, there's this one there's this one tear that goes down and i in, in in that moment i was i was my soul was broken i was like oh jesus this poor it's this so woman it's and and and, and it, there there are no lines there's everyone talks about like all the all the lines but like this is just pure reaction to something that is mm-hmm. dramatic and it's uh it's brilliant and i think that's like it's one of the many reasons she got the oscar i think for this it's it's one of the most human moments that she has in the entire movie yeah because she's so on her game the yeah. entire movie but that little moment when no one except the audience is looking at her does she have that everything just kind of falls down and you see her actual real feelings? Yeah. She's getting tired of this. Like afterwards she admits like, can we just stop this? I am t- I'm just, I'm old. I'm tired of doing this. Can we, and Henry's like, nope, which is brilliant. And which is, which is why, which is why I love O'Toole in this. He, he does. Uh. He, he is so, Oh, he's so incorrigible. You just want to throttle him. He's so interesting, but he's such a pig. Hepburn even called him. Hepburn, I think, said, when I first started this, my agent said never to work with animals or children, and you, sir, are both. Yes, because he is in real life. Peter O'Toole, he seems like such a proper gentleman, but if you read anything about him, he was a hellraiser. Yeah, he was hell, and which he channels perfectly into this. Like, Henry is a man who... Uh, he doesn't speak. He growls. There's not 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 a word is said. Even his even his quiet moments. You're just like this is a guttural, like he's just an animal just waiting yes. to just rip something apart. He spits. He it doesn't he doesn't care exactly who sits on the throne. In fact, throughout the entire throughout this 24 hour period, he basically goes for th- through each son and be like, all right, here. Uh, Here's my plan for you. Eleanor counters like, no, I'm going to go this one. I'm going to go John. No, then it's Richard. And then, no, Jeffrey for a little, for a hot minute. And it's back to John. And he doesn't, he does, he does not, I, he doesn't actually care. Screw it. They all suck. I'm going to marry Alice and have new sons. Right. Yeah. And that, and that, and that plan just falls apart. He doesn't get, all he wants, he just wants to win. He just wants to beat Eleanor. That's it. All his he only goal is winning. He doesn't is want winning. to divide up his land, which he says at the beginning with the reference to uh, King, Lear. King Lear. He's like, I don't, he's like, I worked my ass off to have this all of this land. It's not going to be divided up after I leave. Right, you should go to one. But, I mean, at, at, at some point, you just have to throw all three of them into a fight and see who, see who comes out. And obviously, Richard would win, but you know, details. And it, it actually does does remind me. I come from a family of three, of three boys. And we always joked that if we were a royal family, it would break down like this. My older brother, Chris, would become the king. I would be the most badass general of all time. Because, you know, he would, need, he would need a military command, advisor and commander he can trust, and that's me. And my younger brother would become the high priest. And that's how and th- that, we thought that would be fair and equitable to... Uh, so you would be the Jeffrey. You would be the chancellor. No, um... Wait, hold on. No, I, wrote, I wrote this down, but see, it didn't actually work out that way. It was, uh, wait, who did I, who did I say was each? Oh, no, okay, let's see. Oh, yeah, no, yeah, I did say, I'm Jeffrey. Um, Chris is Richard. 
uh, my older brother. And Mike, uh, somebody has to be John, and uh, that unfortunately is my younger brother, Mike. He's the baby. Uh, and um, well, luckily we didn't have. There was no. There was no fourth brother to uh, who's actually the oldest and whose whose rebellion failed against us. So uh, yeah, that's just a little a little a little fun fact. Um, Anthony Hopkins. This is his second role, his first major role. Uh, when I saw his name in the credits, I was like, this man has been around for a very long time, hasn't he? Can you imagine this being your first major film role? I, him and, like, yeah, him and Dalton have to be like... Working with two of the greatest actors who ever lived. Seriously. Uh, Anthony Hopkins murders this role he you like even if you didn't know that he becomes academy award-winning actor anthony hopkins is one of the greatest dudes of all time you would go that man is that man is going places he is you know he's he he has he has the the sharpness of his family but he also has that stiff upper lipness the uh the, the, the the military training he also had the thoughtfulness. There was yes. always something going on at the beginning when he knocks that guy off and he looks like he's about to execute mm-hmm. him. Yeah, which but is he's, how his he's character's frozen. introduced in the film. Brilliant. There's that moment and the music gets all weird and he raises his sword and then it's like he's in a trance. There's always something going on. And I love that he didn't always buy his mother's, let's say it, bullshit. So much bullshit happening. When she's so like, oh, I love you, I miss you. He's like, shut up. Like you're incapable of it, or or, or something along. I'm sure there's, a, sure there. Honestly, so honestly, honestly, there should honestly there should be a like a meme generator, like a gift generator of just everything everyone says. Yes, you can you can get by your entire existence on the internet just by quoting this movie. It's it's that it's got a response to everything. It's so good that way. It's fun to say. It, they're fun lines to say, and that sounds incredibly shallow. But it's true. No, well, it's, that's a, that's the mark of a, of a very good screenplay when you can just 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 live in the words. Um, yes. There's there's nothing there's nothing sweeter than when a film can do that. And this film this film this film does this. It is not all script though. There is some uh, technical prowess uh, happening here. One of the things I do enjoy is their choice of set design. They chose not to go the Man for All Seasons route and make it all very prim and proper like we like we sort of like our condition to believe the medieval times is this is oh, everything being bright and shiny. Yeah. No, nothing is bright and shiny. There's dirt and hay on the There's floor. mud on the floor. Mud. There's always dogs. My husband and I were watching it and he's like, where are these freaking dogs? Yeah, they're dogs. The king has to kick possible. chickens out. He's, he wears one outfit that uh, Ebert said, I think he just peel, he wears in December and he just peels it away layer by layer until April. When he has to be all kingly, he just puts on just just a purple robe over his gruff, sweaty body odor. And you feel how cold it is. It feels yeah. cold and raw. That yeah. wet dampness. It's it's so it's so. You know what? You know what? You know what? In addition to feeling it, I could I could almost smell it. I'm like I yes. know what this smells like. It's like it's like it's back when I was hiking. It's like this is what a, this is what one of the the, the lean tos smelled like. Just people and just sweat just 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 drenched into the walls even it was, oh. yes. uh, so so kudos to Harvey and the production team for making that choice to to really just muddy it up I think that lends authenticity to it I, I, I always appreciate dirt and grime on film when it's when it's handled like this uh, camera camera wise I do I did at some point found it kind of annoying like they had just discovered what a zoom lens is and they're just <laughs> always pushing in but um largely like a lot of stage productions they do let the camera linger a lot because this is it's not necessarily about the camera it's about the actors performing in them and so you have a lot of yes. long very long takes and i love me a long take uh that and i'm and i'm glad they chose not to go too nuts with movement etc they did they did just enough to make it so you aren't just watching the same shot over and over but they uh also kept it kept it going so that you could really the characters could really deliver their lines it their, wasn't their thoughts distracting. no it wasn't it, it wasn't the, the zooming was a little bit distracting i'm like all right, all right so i can get it but 
Sure. Whatever. And uh, obviously, we uh, the I will say the choreography has not held up. This is some we could we can do better in sword fighting. I know there's basically one and a half sword fights, but can we make it a little more entertaining? That's neither here nor there. But we can both agree that the score by John Barry is brilliant. It really pumps me up. Yes. That so opening, good. and I love the opening credits because I don't know where they filmed it, but those stone gargoyles and mm-hmm. all those things, it just, it's so perfect, and it does. I think about it, and I get pumped up. Yeah. I believe Anthony Harvey, he was driving around, and he just saw them. I was like, oh, we're filming these. Cool. That that was the story. That's how it happened. Fun little things like that always occur on on set. Do you have... A favorite scene. Oh, jeez. Can you narrow it down? My favorite monologue, I'll start there, is when Henry is talking to his sons at the end, and it's the, when my life is written, it will read better than it lived. Right. Henry Henry II had no sons. and, And there was never such a queen, and... Alexandria or Camelot mm-hmm. and he had no sons that gives me chills I've actually watched that clip on YouTube an embarrassing amount of times <laughs> because it's so great and I just watch it and I go oh, I love you Peter until you're yeah. just so great I just think you're so awesome is that the is that the I deny you yes oh, brilliant. absolutely brilliant Henry Berkman, he married out of love a woman out of legends yeah. I'm like, had there been such a queen. I kind of want that as as my as my obituary. That sounds dope. I know I'm not royalty yes. or whatever. I'm not Meghan Markle, but you know, boy can dream. I like that. I like the fake wedding scene. Not the fake. It was supposed to be. Real, it was supposed to be real. The, they were both the, playing each other the whole time. The stalled wedding scene, shall we? That was. To. That was really powerful. Yeah. I I will have to say I as it could have been. Like almost on the edge, bordering on the edge of reason, but the tapestry scene in King Philip's scene when ever when everyone not a Shakespeare scene. It's totally it's totally a Shakespeare. It's he it's has like eight hundred tapestries and eight hundred all. Well, of what these are you, well, what are the well, well well that's what tapestries are for. They even say it's just, they're just for hiding behind. Yes. Uh, it's um, and you just see everybody's reactions. This one, you know, this piece of information is revealed, and then right. it goes behind all the curtains to show the different reactions. Yes, but it, it's it's a very theatrical scene because you do you do have the truth has to come out. And in a big in a big public way, and they they do they do it a very very clever very cleverly. But um, yeah, so uh, it it could be so hokey, but uh, it ends up being just just brutal. Um, uh, it, I, I think that's where the uh, I think that's it's the beginning of, and then and then it goes into, it goes into that monologue, and I I was just riveted. I was like. Oh man, Timothy Dalton's killing it. Oh, Anthony Hopkins, you just like his heart just gets broken because um, King Philip. Found out the uh, new king of England never uh, France, excuse me, never loved him. Never like oh, and like even back then, like it's it's bad enough being uh, you know queer these days. I can only imagine like back then it's it's oh it's a death sentence, and just to, just to like to find somebody of equal station and to have them say that that's gotta just like you like there's a reason you go off to the crusades for basically your entire your reign as king and you yes. you, you need to you need to fight somebody <laughs> fight somebody i just i love that the end the end scene with uh when they're all back in the dungeon and they everything's coming to a head and eleanor delivers just something you never want to hear your mother say execute them and because the whole time you think she's rooting for them to kill their father. Right. But in the end, this is how I interpreted it, because you never know what's going on in these people's minds. She was on Henry's side. She was execute him. And really, I'm sitting there, and I've seen the movie, and I'm still like, what did she just say? They're like, damn, this bitch is cold. It's on shit. I was like, I want to go find my daughter and be like, 
<laughs> I know. I said to my son, you would never plot against me. <laughs> now, they say. Now. Um, do Henry and Eleanor love each other? I feel they respect each other. I don't think they are in love, but I believe that there's definitely a love and respect. I think he has a lot more regard, respect, and admiration for Eleanor than he does for Alice. I don't think he loves Alice at all. I think she's pretty, and she can produce babies, and that's just about it. I think every time he says he loves her, he's just saying it to dig at Eleanor. Mm -hmm. But... I think he knows and would pretty much openly say you were, she's Alice isn't even a fraction of the human being that Eleanor is. No, no. Eleanor is a quintessential woman right there. I think she's, she is. And I think he respects that yet at the same time, he obviously can't trust her. She did lead rebellions against him. Like right. he's smart enough to keep her locked up. Right. But see, I, I would disagree. I think they do love each other. I think there's no one else who is on their level. And so they, if, whether it's by just because, you know, because of their situation or just because they have spent so much time mm-hmm. with each other. And, you know, you have to, whether, you know, there's a very thin line between love and hate. Both require an extreme amount of energy and emotional output to, mm-hmm. uh, to, to deal with. So, it does seem like at times they they want to they want to murder each other and almost come close numerous occasions. <laughs> and they actually do try to kill each other. Yeah, but I I think you don't you don't do the things they do if it's just I respect my adversary. You have to be emotionally invested in this. In, in this dance that you insist upon playing what seems like every single year or something like that uh in order in order to just get right because i you, you can't you can't live without each other it's because i think to them where would the fun be if i had to deal with all these slow dull people and i didn't have you to to spar against spar with which is true at the scene where she tells him oh by the way do you ever wonder if i slept with your father oh, <laughs> brutal brutal so, like, yeah uh, yeah crazy so um i mean we're both we're both married uh how would you feel about ending up as uh eleanor and henry in their twilight years with your with your husband to end up being like them um i actually would almost prefer a little bit more dullness in my age. (laughs) I feel, and you're probably the same way, intelligence for me is the number one thing that I need in a partner. Yeah, my wife is very smart. (laughs) And... And that's what I love about my husband. I love that I could watch something like this with him. And he's not tolerating watching a movie like this. He's not, oh, I'd really rather just be watching this fluff movie, but I'll watch this for my wife. That he loves it as much as I do. And then afterwards, we can talk about it and things like that. Yeah, that's brilliant. But I do, I like banter. I love banter in relationships. I love them in movies. I think that makes for a better movie. I think that... That's one of the reasons I love Gone with the Wind as much as I do. I love the relationship between Rhett and Scarlet way more than, you know, Rick and Ilsa from Casablanca. They're boring. <laughs> right. They're boring. I love, I like I love Rick and Ilsa. Movies, movies where you watch the people argue and be ugly with each other, but then, but you know those moments of love when she's watching him say all those things to Alice, which you know he's only saying because she's right. watching. Right. And when she's like, oh, did I mention I slept with your dad and Thomas Beckett? Do you want me to describe their bodies to you <laughs> and how they made me feel when I was with them? And you're like, oh, Eleanor, you're such a scamp. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay. you're just saying this to mess I do, with them. I do, I do think, I do. And, I, he knows, and he knows that that's why she's doing it, and it yeah. still drives him crazy. Because 
she's amazing. Well, because, you know, after a long enough time, you know all the buttons to push. You know, all and the she says that to him. I know every one of your moves, and I'm going to meet you at every turn. And yep. you're like, oh. Yeah, you go, amazing. you go, girl. Who wants to be, who wants to be Alice? Yeah, it just Alice seems a little easier. The entire movie, and I felt like that, and I felt like such a bad feminist. But every time at the beginning where she's like, Henry, how much trouble will I be? I'm like, shut up. <laughs> He's busy. Like, Got a kingdom go, to run. God. Jesus. <laughs> go just be pretty somewhere else. Right. Like, shut up. Right. And he's not that interested in her. And he even when he like messes up her hair, he's like, oh, you're just pretty. Let me put your hair askew. Right. Like, she's lame. And he doesn't care about her. That, I think, is right. It's a, she's just the, She's just a pawn in the game he and plays with Philip. And she knows it. And until the end, when she says, by the way, if you and I are going to have any kids, you're going to have to kill all of your sons. That's when I finally was like, okay, Alice, get into the game a little bit. Yeah, you're learning. You're learning from the best. Like, why do you have lines? Just give them all to, give them all to Eleanor of Aquitaine. Yeah. I do, and I I'm not a huge Catherine Hepburn fan, which I know makes me the worst film buff feminist ever. Ooh. No judgment She's here. She's good. I respect her. Everything that people say about her is true. She's amazing. She's not a personal favorite of mine. And I, part of it, and this is going to sound so shallow, and I'm going to get so many Twitter messages about this. I hope so. Her Connecticut accent sometimes is a little much. And she doesn't even like, really try to hide it. Henry. Henry. <laughs> I'm a little like, let's tone it down yeah. we're not in cambridge massachusetts let's dial that back a little <laughs> that, that was that the accent yeah that weird mid-atlantic thing yes i don't like our sons henry yeah that's, that's another I fun line degrading i think she's a great actress she deserves every award every positive thing that people can say about her i completely agree with slash her accent is sometimes a little bit too much there you have it. You can uh, you can send angry messages to her <laughs> Twitter feed at AmyThomason11. Uh, look forward <laughs> to reading them on uh, next week's episode. So, Amy Thomason did The Lion in Winter deserve Best Picture? If you over could go back. Oliver, over Oliver, a thousand percent. Fuck yeah. Was it the best movie of 1968? It's top three. Not. It's my favorite movie of 1968. If 2001 A Space Odyssey won, I would understand. That, for me, is a movie I watched once. That was enough. Oh, I've seen that movie dozens of times. This movie, I could watch several times a year and love it. I ever, all, the wonder, all the things that everyone ever says about 2001 A Space Odyssey, I completely agree slash i personally have no desire to ever watch the movie again well that's fine it's honestly it's a it, it's a stanley cooper film that's, do you understand what i'm saying though like, I, I, I respect it i a hundred percent it's groundbreaking all of those things the lion in winter is like i wrap myself up in a blanket and i'm like ha ah, here we go again yeah. let's go merry christmas everybody watch this movie 2001 a space odyssey was that was great now we can go. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I would. I would have to say uh, over Oliver. Yes, uh, two thousand one is my. I think my favorite movie of all time. But so. Rosemary's Baby also came out there. I know. I know. And, and honestly, Planet of the Apes is so good. It's such a good movie. It's a. It's a terrible. I mean, we can as long as we can both say Oliver didn't deserve to be within spitting distance of the not of the Best Picture not uh, race at all. Lion of Winter makes a solid case for it. It definitely deserved the best adapted screenplay win that it it took home. Catherine Hepburn's amazing. I would have given I would have given Peter O'Toole the Oscar. Thousand percent deserved best. I would have nominated Dalton and Hopkins for a supporting actor role, though they might have split the vote. And I, you know what? Just to just to go go for it, we'll give it to we'll give Alice Alice's actress whose name I forget. A supporting actress nomination just because she does she's got she's got she's got some like good like good lines but they aren't like 
the ones you remember from this movie. That's only because it's I think there's so many. Position to be in. It's not. It's, it's a terrible position. My to be friend in. Brian, who I'm giving him another shout out because he and I had a very long conversation about this. He said, first, it's an quote unquote ugly film. It's a rough looking film. There's not a lot of physical beauty in the film. She's nice to look at. She's very, very pretty. So she's kind of something visually pleasurable. Yeah. And she doesn't get the zing as any of the other characters because her character doesn't require it. No, no. Her, her character is like you and me. We're just like, I have no idea what's happening. I'm just along for the ride. You do you, babe. Sure, sure enough. Well, uh, we're running late, as always. You have been listening to the Oscar Watch Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. You can write us an email with your thoughts and concerns, I assume a lot of your criticisms, uh, at oscarwatchpodcast at gmail.com, and be sure to find us on social media at oscarwatchpod. Next week, Matthew Marchetti returns, and yes, folks, I would like to make it official, Amy Thomason is joining the cast, so it's going to be the three of us discussing movies from here until we run out of Academy Awards which is honestly sooner than I would like it, but hey, that's just the way it goes. Next week, Matt's back. We're doing an un-Oscars. The film, Christmas Evil. Uh, hard to find, but if you can, certainly watch along. Uh, I hope we have some fun with that. Haven't, haven't checked it out, but uh, we're doing an entire ye- uh, month of Christmas films, mostly for your reconsiderations, because no Christmas movie has one best picture. Uh, so... Tune in to see what we will be talking about. Amy Thompson, where can people find you? They can find me at Twitter at athomason11. Mm-hmm. And yes, you can send your complaints telling me that I'm wrong about Katherine Hepburn. Which, I will say again, she is a wonderful actress. I get it. The accent's a little much. Right. And we will read your complaints on air next week. And we until such time, everyone, have a happy December. And we will... Do you want to look